great to have five star reviews but if i'm unlucky and two weeks ago there's a customer that gave me a one star review and that shows up as the top most recent review there's nothing i can do about that instead of rewriting a whole product page instead of redesigning a whole product page which are all expensive options i would say focus on the opening of your sales page and see how people respond to it Hi, Rishi. Welcome to the podcast, Click to Buy. We're so happy to have you. Nice to meet you, Becca. I'm excited to be here and I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, our interesting conversation. Yeah. Would you mind briefly introducing yourself and your role at Frictionless Commerce? Yes. Uh, so my name, is, my name is Rishi and I've been doing now conversion optimization for the last 13 years. Very long time. I actually... I've been doing it for longer than that, actually, but I started Frictionless Commerce 13 years ago, and the idea was to, um, you know, to to help retailers, specifically online retailers, go after audiences that they weren't converting. And so mm. traditionally what happens is, you know, I would talk to, before I started Frictionless Commerce, I would talk to CEOs all the time, and I would tell them, you know, we need to think about, you know, improving conversion rates. And, and one of their stock responses was, well, our conversion rates are like, you know, four and a half percent. And I read an industry report that said a conversion rate of like two percent is really good. So I think we're doing really well. Or they would ask me like, you know, amongst your customers, what's the average conversion rate? And then they would determine based on that if they needed to improve their conversion rates. And mm. I found this pretty absurd because when you when if you ask me to think, find out, calculate the average conversion rate for my customers, well, some of my customers are selling items that are very expensive. Some of my customers are resellers. Uh, so I don't know if that necessarily applies to your plant business, for example. And mm -hmm. so that was one. But the more important thing was that even if your conversion rate is much above industry average, what is that even telling you? Because mm -hmm. you still have over 90% of people that aren't buying. And shouldn't we focus on understanding if there's an opportunity to improve that improve that number and so i was really focused on that end of the puzzle and so that's kind of the genesis um you know that behind the start of the business i love that and maybe you can describe just a little bit about the services that you offer so i know you said you launched frictionless commerce and i know your linkedin branding is the shopify product page guy so for any of our listeners out there who might be interested in your services maybe you can give us the little elevator yeah. pitch yeah so essentially, my, my, my whole operating thesis is that brands spend a lot of money on advertising. And of course, the entire funnel matters. But the most important page on your entire website actually is your product page. And the reason for this is most ads directly link people to the product page. And even if they don't link people to the product page, if even if you took them to the home page, they will very quickly navigate from the home page to the category page to the product page. Why? Because when I, it's kind of like walking into a retail store. Nobody mm -hmm. is hanging out at the entrance of the retail store, right? You go to the retail store, you immediately walk up to the aisle that you're interested in to look for the specific product you're interested in. You do all of this before you even decide if you want to buy from the brand. So essentially, the decision to make a purchase of the brand happens once you've confirmed that they even have. If I'm looking for a garden hose, instead of thinking about if I should buy it from Lowe's or not, I want to first see if Lowe's has that holes. So I'm essentially going to the aisle that has the holes, which is the equivalent of a product page. So my thought, my thought is that the product page is the make or break. And so it makes sense to think about optimization from that, from that perspective. So frictionless commerce specifically focuses on improving conversion rates 
on the product page itself. And we believe that it's the tide that rises all the boats. Um, and um, within the product page, we are essentially focused on copywriting. So I think mm -hmm. our uh, the, the difference between how we think about conversion optimization versus pretty much every other agency is that a lot of agencies are thinking about conversion optimization from the perspective of design and layout and you know findability and all of that stuff and we think about it purely from the perspective of copywriting so essentially it's the words that are on the screen that matter the most to us and mm -hmm. those words are communicating your story and so we think that if your story is not being communicated effectively even if the story is amazing it's going to have a a you know, it's going to have a breaking function on conversion rates. And so my job is to identify if there is there is friction in your story and then to essentially shine your story so it, you know, so it really converts first-time buyers. And that's the other thing is that we are actually focused on new customers. So mm -hmm. we're not trying to get existing customers to spend more money. We're getting new customers who've never bought from the brand to make their very first purchase. And that's a very specific type of, they're thinking about a completely different set of things versus someone mm -hmm. who's familiar with the brand. So if I'm going to, uh, you know, again, using a retail store analogy, if I mm -hmm. walk into a Lowe's retail store and I'm a reg I'm a customer that's bought from Lowe's many times, I may not have bought a garden hose, but I've bought from Lowe's many times. I behave yeah. completely differently versus someone who has been only shopping at Home Depot for 20 years. And one day kind of the last straw, you know, final straw on the camel's back and they said, you know, Home Depot doesn't have a good collection selection anymore. I'm going to, see what Lowe's has to offer. That's a very different selection criteria. And we are focused on getting that person to place their very first order. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense and kind of bring it all back together. So of course, instant sponsoring this podcast, it's a page building tool. So we believe that a big part of the conversion journey or thinking about it is the elements that you include on a page, let's say a product page, for example, and making sure that those are all optimized for that target audience. So I'd love to switch to a little section that we call this or that, where I'll throw out two different items that a lot of people put on different pages on their store. Um, and you can give me your hot take on which might be better. Obviously, it depends on the industry and the product, but maybe just kind of like general hot takes. So for example, this or that, do you think on a product page, it's more helpful to have on-site reviews or off-site reviews? So, you know, it's, it's, it, it depends so much on what that off-site review is. It depends mm -hmm. so much on you know, what type of audience you're talking to, but I would say if all else being equal, I would say offsite reviews have more credibility to me because they are from a credit, you know, a, a credible source. Whereas mm -hmm. if I come to a website and I see, you know, 500 reviews by customers that, uh, you know, on your own platform, I would have a little more skepticism. So it's again, context does matter here. Yeah. It, it does depend, but all else being equal, I would say offsite reviews uh, would oh. work better. I would have to agree with you. Otherwise, it kind of feels like it could be cherry picked, like just yep. picking the best things versus when it's external, maybe you do see some of those one or two star reviews, but it's overweighed by the massive amounts of maybe positive things if it's truly like a useful product. Yep. Uh, another this or that, do you prefer video testimonials or written testimonials? So I, I, I you know, there's, there's evidence on this that mm -hmm. uh, video content um, is way more persuasive um and so i think video testimonials are a lot more effective than written testimonials i think mm -hmm. ultimately i would actually have 
a balance of both. So I would like, because mm. some people might be at work and they might not be able, might not be able to play a video. So I don't want to just only have like 20 video testimonials. I think yeah. I would have, you know, 10 video testimonials and, you know, 10 written testimonials. So people can choose their own adventure and if they want to read, they can read if they want. But the, just the fact that the video exists uh, is also a social signal to me, right? So, uh, yeah. so I think video, it's harder to fake a video whereas it's much easier to fake an interview. So for that reason, videos work better. But even if someone doesn't watch the video, I'm making the argument that it could actually have a positive conversion effect, effect because it's there, just because it's there. Okay, that's, that's definitely an interesting thought as well. So even just the presence of having video footage might have like a positive impression on someone who's doing like that quick scan. Exactly. Uh, and our last this or that, do you prefer or do you think for conversion, it might be more helpful to have user generated content or professional product photos? I, I think I think user generated content is is a lot more effective. I would, again, you know, maybe give instructions to people on how to take those shots for the lighting. Mm -hmm. Some of the some of the some of the pictures, some of the UGC content I feel is the lighting is really bad and the angles are really bad. Um, so obviously I don't want to, I, you know, I, I want to make sure that they follow the right guidelines, mm -hmm. but yes, overall UGC is better. Yeah, I would agree. I think a good example I've personally seen is I think it's like Fenty where you can buy underwear online, but it has of course like professional product photos, but it also has a feed of like real life people of like many different sizes wearing something. So it has that really like personal feel like you can picture yourself no matter what the size, but also like the prestige of maybe this more higher yeah. end. I brand. think again, yeah, I think mix and match yeah. uh, of both mm -hmm. is 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 really important yeah nice uh so now a little bit of a personal question so i know you have on your blog and on your site this healthy skeptics formula let's say i would love to know more about what that formula is and how you apply it when thinking about conversion yeah i mean you know i like i said i work with customers to spend an inordinate amount of money on advertising and mm -hmm. they convert let's say 2% of their ad spend or maybe 2.5% of their ad spend. And there's this huge universe of people that they aren't converting. And so what they would ask me to do is to figure out, you know, why those people aren't buying. And at first I was like, this is awesome because now I can look at 98% of the audience and it's, I have so much more to play with. And then I started mm -hmm. realizing that the reasons why people don't buy are infinite. I mean, there's a whole variety of reasons that they don't buy. And so even if I would have figured it out, uh, I it's going to be really hard. But more importantly, there are many reasons why people don't buy, uh, which I can I have zero influence over. So, for example, if I'm looking for a garden hose and I want to spend no more than $10 on it and your mm -hmm. hose costs $49, no matter what I tell you, no matter how I structure the sales pitch, you're just not going to buy it because your budget was $10. So to me, like spending a hundred hours trying to figure out how do I get this person who wants to spend $10 to spend $50 is actually a waste of time. Uh, that's just one example. There are many, many other examples. There are some people that are just passively looking. They have no intention. They, they're pretty okay with, they have a, a drippy le a leaky uh, hose, mm -hmm. but um, they're not going to buy a new one until it completely breaks. So it, they have a different time horizon. And so trying to figure out how do I persuade this person doesn't make any sense. So I knew that there was all of these audience groups that actually didn't matter. And 
when you say that we need to figure out how to convert 98% of our audience or 96% of our audience, you know, you're actually giving e- all of them equal importance. And so mm-hmm. to me, I thought to myself, well, what group, Matt, what group would I want to go after? And, I, and the term we came up with was a healthy skeptic. And to me, a healthy skeptic has, it's kind of like, it's a kind of, you know, it's two different terms, healthy and skeptic. And what I mean by that is I'm looking for someone who's skeptical. That's, that's important because remember, if they weren't skeptical, they were, they're already buying. So mm-hmm. they either don't care or they uh, are already buying. So in either case, you know, someone who, you know, I'm, I'm looking for someone who's skeptical. So I want some degree of skepticism because typically we have skepticism about things we care about. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I don't, uh, you know, when I don't care about something, I don't have skepticism. Or if I'm a fanboy, then I have no skepticism either. It's really, you know, the skepticism is a beautiful term because it, it, it kind of shows like I'm not buying it or I'm not buying your claim, but I'm interested in what you have to say. So, th- so that's, that's where the skepticism comes. Healthy is a more of a positive spin on that skepticism because by it t- itself, skepticism is actually a negative term. And so I wanted to kind mm-hmm. of find a cohort or a subset of people that were kind of had a positive take on it. And so we have like four criteria that we use to identify a healthy skeptic. Healthy skeptic is number one, is someone who recognizes they have a problem. They have to know they have a problem. As a marketer, there is nothing that I can do to persuade someone if they don't even recognize that they have a leak in their hose, right? Number mm-hmm. two is they value expertise. This is a really, really important criteria. Because if they don't value expertise, I cannot persuade them. And one of the analogies I think about is my relationship with my doctor. I respect my doctor's expertise. It doesn't, I still have agency. I don't have to do everything my doctor says. I don't have to take all the medication my doctor gives me. But I respect his, I, I respect his expertise. And I'm looking for people that, so healthy skeptics have that quality as well. Uh, the third is that they are willing to spend money to solve their problems. This is a this is a really important point as well because if someone says, you know, I, I'm looking to buy a new hose, but I don't want to pay for it, well, you know, very few businesses can actually cater to that. And I'm using extreme examples to make a specific point. And number four is that they um, they are skeptical. They need more convincing. So they have to have these four criteria. So basically in a sea of you know, customers that are not buying, we're looking for people that have those four criteria. And then the, the idea is that, you know, how can we have a conversation with them and then measure to see how that conversation is translating into increased sales. So that's, that's, that's yeah. really our focus. Wow. I think the way you put it is very interesting, especially pairing the positive, like the healthy with maybe a word that has more of a negative Mm -hmm. uh, connotation, skepticism. But I find that really fascinating. And I know you said you focus on improving kind of conversion through copywriting in a big part of it. So maybe you have some advice on what are the copy elements on a product page that you would focus on converting first if you were helping someone with their product page for these healthy skeptics. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so we've done lots and lots of testing and we've learned a lot and there are many elements of the product page that actually are important. So I'm not pretending like Mm -hmm. there aren't other elements. We know that the product image gallery is incredibly important. We look at session recordings, we find people come to the product page and then this immediately start leafing through the images. And if you really Mm -hmm. think about it, this kind of makes sense because the, 
biggest difference between shopping in person and shopping online is that in person I can touch and feel the thing that I'm buying whereas offline I can't so going through the image gallery is essentially my proxy for being in a retail store so I can now you know so it makes sense why people would actually go through the images the other area that's very important is the customer reviews people scroll down they read the reviews they want to see what other people are saying they sort the reviews by you know positive reviews negative reviews you know one star reviews new reviews old reviews because they want to understand you know what people are saying mm-hmm. um but if i had to pick one element that i think is the most important it is actually the product description and the reason why i like the description so much is because unlike the image gallery which is can be very expensive to do a photo shoot and the product reviews that I have no control over. I mean, it's great to have five star reviews, but if I'm unlucky and two weeks ago, there's a customer that gave me a one star review and that shows up as the top most recent review, there's nothing I can do about that. And so, you know, suddenly my sales pitch is now at risk because I have this one star review, which has nothing to do with, um, it's just luck of the draw, but it has an, it has a bearing on the consumer. The one thing that I can control is the description itself how I'm describing my product, how I'm positioning my product, how I'm helping you understand the effectiveness of my product, all of that I can control. And that lives in the product description. Now, for people that are listening, the uh, product description exists in two areas. So if you know, mm-hmm. one is the product description section itself on the page. So you have a heading that says product description, that's your product description. But a lot of modern websites also have this architecture where you have a product image, if it's on mobile and desktop, same thing, but I'll talk about the desktop. Uh, the product image is in the top left corner. To the right of that, you have a headline that says, you know, amazing garden hose. And below that you have, you know, uh, the star rating. And then below that you have your, you know, uh, your, your, your price point. Between the price point and the star rating, there's a little blurb uh, of a description that kind of says, you know, whatever it, it is. So I, that is also a part of the product description. In fact, it's the opening of the product description to me. Um, so when I say you need to think about a product description, I'm talking about those two, those two things. Gotcha. Thanks for clarifying. I think that's also really relevant. No matter what you're selling, you really need to focus on those kind of key things. And like you said, that is what's in kind of your area of control. Maybe yep. leading off that question, do you have any memorable experiments or A-B testing that you've done on this element before that maybe you can share if there's an example that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, there, there are two things that come to mind. There are two experiments that come to mind. Uh, one is that we were working for a client that sold a pretty expensive and pretty complicated product. And the challenge was that the by default, because it's such a complicated product, it's an air purifier, the client actually had lots of tech specs on the page itself because they realized that people are buying this product not because it looks cool, but because it works well. And so they want to talk about the HEPA filter. They want to talk about all of the features that the product had. But by by doing so, the product description became very long and convoluted. And the client challenged us to say, you know, go ahead and improve the conversion rates. Now I had a problem. The problem was that how do I know what information to talk about when there's all this technical stuff that that are is important? And I realized that some people might be looking to buy an air purifier that actually like that kind of technical information and need that technical information to make a purchase, 
but then they could also be someone's you know grandma or someone who's not tech savvy who just wants an air purifier that does a good job they want to know it does a good job but they don't understand what a hepa filter does they don't understand you know mm-hmm. what a micron means and in fact if anything that's overwhelming to them um they're, they're also not very tech savvy and so we so instead of trying to write a description that spoke to both those audiences at the same time which we recognized was impossible what we did was at the top of our description we had a short introduction paragraph and then right after that we said how much time do you have today and there were two buttons two minutes and i have time those are the two buttons and the and the thought was that someone who doesn't really care about too many technical details or doesn't want to get buried in technical details will probably click on two minutes because they want to quick they want to quickly understand mm-hmm. what's amazing about this filter and someone who actually cares about technical details will probably has time you know will click on i have time and now what happened was when you clicked on those buttons we actually refactored the product description so if you said 2 minutes we only showed you the shortest version of the description where we covered all the key points if you said i i have time we actually gave you a very long description similar to what was there previously and overall conversion rates of their best seller went up by 30% so we were able to actually mm-hmm. without without doing anything except distinguishing between the content that these two different audiences wanted uh we were able to improve conversion rates by 30%. So this is something that I think every product page mm-hmm. should have. Um you know instead of trying to write the perfect description I think the questions we are asking are wrong. We're saying what is the description that I need to write so I can simultaneously talk to all my audiences. This is the wrong question. Mm-hmm. What we should be doing is we should basically ask ourselves which are what are our two biggest audiences and it's really important to kind of break it down to just two audiences because otherwise you fall for the trap of saying we have 15 different audiences that are equally important no they're not um you know clearly there are some audiences that matter more so if you say mm-hmm. i'm going to focus on those two audiences now you can just create a path and you can just ask them which audience group do you fall into and people don't mind telling you who they are and you know once they make the selection you personalize the content for them so that was one experiment The other thing think- that I found and again when I'm sharing experiments mm-hmm. I'm actually sharing trying to share things that are universally true so that anyone listening in can just start applying this to their website the first experiment is universally true so we've tested this several times and I would recommend you steal this idea the other one is the importance of the opening of your description so we have experimented a lot with the product description and what we find is that the opening matters a lot so if you have a very strong opening Uh, I I would actually recommend that have somewhat of a dramatic opening um mm-hmm. what that does is it first of all it's a, it acts as a pattern break for the reader because they're expecting some kind of boring description that says you know this innovative garden hose is amazing whatever and um you know but you want to break that pattern you want to essentially you're, you're trying to shake people out of inertia i mean essentially as a marketer what am i doing the person who clicked on the ad is kind of passively engaged they were on facebook they saw a picture of a garden hose and like oh it sounds interesting they clicked on it they're not super invested the first thing i want to do is i want to shake them out of that inertia so that i can figure out if they really care because if you don't if they don't care i i mean there's no, there's no persuasion that matters um so having a strong opening is really important and so i would have an opening like you know you know for 12 years i wondered why garden hoses sucked something dramatic like this and what that does is it first of all communicates to me that you feel strongly about garden hoses which is what i the consumer really cares about the second thing is that 
I don't know why they suck. So I'm now compelled to read more to understand what your story was and what your experience was. And so to me, the opening really matters. And so I would say, you know, instead of rewriting a whole product page, instead of redesigning a whole product page, which are all expensive options, I would say focus on the opening of your sales page and see how people respond to it. Yeah, I think that those are both amazing examples. I also think it's super interesting because obviously you're focused on creating a frictionless experience. And so I think so many people think you can't add like another button or something else to click in order to make it frictionless. But you're able to prove that even though you added like this extra step, it actually was helping people get to what they wanted. So it had like the it helped with conversion, even though maybe logically you wouldn't think adding another click would do that. So I think this that's a, quite this is a very good point. Yes, uh, there's a distinction between good friction and bad friction. Yeah. And, um, and I think this is an example of good friction. Yeah, so uh, definitely a tactic to steal if you're listening in. Uh, maybe now if you have, do you have any other brands that kind of come to mind or have inspired you with some of their conversion tactics? I know there's so many brands out there in the space. Well, there, 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 are, there are two names that, that come to mind. So mm -hmm. one is a company called Misen Knives. So M-I-S-E-N.com and they sell mm -hmm. uh, kitchen knives. They, they have other products as well. I think they are a masterclass in in marketing and i would recommend anyone if you include the the link to the on the website to yeah the website I'll drop it in the comments it. yeah <laughs> yeah people people will people should check out their website i think they're a mass they've done they've done a masterclass in both design uh, mm -hmm. in, certainly in copywriting very very good job uh it's kind of you know they have a strong point of view but it's not too empowering they mm -hmm. are very, very, very persuasive. There's another company, uh, a Michigan-based company called Zingerman's, <clears throat> and they are a big goods company. They they have other products as well, um, and so uh, they they do a really, really good job with storytelling. So on their olive oil product page, for example, instead of saying you know we have this really amazing olive oil, you know it's actually a description written by someone in their team who went to Italy and stayed with the family from which they procured the olive oil, saw the olive oil being pressed and, and, and is writing, it's basically like a travel log and he's writing his story about, you know, that experience. And to me, that's so much better than um, any product descriptions. So I think again, Zingerman's is another company that uh, if people want to get inspiration on what great copy looks like. Um, I would have them look into it. Oh, I will definitely add those to the show notes, especially like the what the second example. It sounds extremely personal. And I think yep. like that's why a lot of people look on food blogs or things for products because they want the story behind something. That's right. So it's yep. definitely an interesting tactic to already incorporate incorporate that into your web shop. Uh, so definitely two great tips. Um, maybe a question when you're thinking about conversion, do you have any tools that you recommend or that are part of your tech stack or your toolbox when you're trying to work on increasing conversion? Well, we use a tool called VWO.com, which is an mm -hmm. A-B testing software. Um, that's the that's the one tool that we use. We use other tools as well. Like I use, I like to rely on um, Hotjar for session recordings to understand mm -hmm. how people are actually consuming content. That's see the thing. The thing that we misunderstand. The thing that we don't understand is that content consumption. I need to know the content consumption patterns so I can adjust those patterns. Right. So it's not just about like, hey, let's just kind of write copy and see what what people do. 
what if mm-hmm. people aren't even reading that copy what if people don't know how to get to that copy maybe you mm-hmm. know and so looking at the session recordings actually tells me if that content is even being discovered and once i understand it's being discovered i'm like okay well i can i can i can rewrite it to make it more effective so um so use using tools like hotjar and bwo.com uh is is quite effective Perfect. Thanks. I'll make sure I include those in the notes as well. Uh, and what do you think most businesses get wrong when it comes to conversion? If you had to pick just one thing. Well, so the, it's a good question. I think what's interesting, so there are, there are a few things that businesses get wrong, just based on my experience, two things that I, I'd like to share. One is that I've seen many, so Actually, there are three things. So the first thing is that we somehow have convinced ourselves, mostly because we are looking at our competitors and we are drawing conclusions based on what we're seeing with our competitors, is that nobody wants to read copy. So people want to shorten the copy as much as they can. The description, they want to shorten it as much as they can. And as I showed you in that example for that air purifier, we actually had a much longer version and a shorter version simultaneously. And that's how we were able to get a 30% sales lift. So the, the long version does work. Um, a lot of times brands would look at their competitors and say, well, my competitor has completed their description in, in, in two paragraphs. Therefore, that's our limit now. We shouldn't go beyond that because obviously they know something we don't. The competitors also looking at their website and saying, oh, look, these guys obviously know something that we don't. So we need to now reduce ours also because it's, and it's a silly arms race. Um, the point is that uh, the the point is that the copy length actually is not the, the reducing the length is not the right thing to focus on. I've seen plenty, too many to name examples where we've increased the length and we've actually seen much higher conversion rates. I think the question to ask yourself, because you know sometimes brand will say, "Well, you're Rishi, you're definitely wrong," because we don't actually talk to our compet. We don't actually look at our competitors. We actually talk to our own customers, and our customers say, you know, they want less copy. And I think you're asking the wrong question because if someone asks me, do I like long copy or short copy? Of course, I would say I want short copy. That doesn't mean that you should give me short copy. I also want candy all day long. That doesn't mean I should get candy all day long. Um, I think what the customer is saying is that they don't, they have no tolerance for long droning copy or long like self-congratulatory copy or you know co- long copy that's boring. So if the copy is great, I have no problem watching people all, you know, these same customers are also spending, you know, 20 hours binge watching Netflix. So why mm-hmm. are they doing that? They, because the content matters to them. It's something they are drawn by, they're they're intrigued by. So if you make your copy interesting, I think the copy length is no longer a criteria. So don't worry about the length, focus on how amazing is my copy. Because I think I would ask those people, you know, who said they'd like short copy, ask them how amazing is this copy? They'll probably also come back and say, this is pretty average. So, you know, if you're listening to them for length, also listen to them about the, the other aspects. So that's, that's one mistake that uh, retailers make quite a bit. I think the other mm-hmm. mistake that they make is that oftentimes I read the description and it's very simplistic. It says, you know, mm-hmm. we, you know, we kind of uh, have this running shoe. It's pretty awesome. It looks cool. It's pretty light. Um, we're right now giving a discount of 20%, you should buy it now. Well, that's not very compelling. And so sometimes when I talk to the founders and I, we, we interrogate them, we realize some really fascinating things that we had no idea about. So for example, they'll say something like, you know, you know, I wanted to use a very specific type of rubber in the insole 
and that material didn't exist. And so I went through like 37 prototypes and, and through that process, I found this one material that I didn't expect it to do well, but it was really, really, really effective. And my point is that why doesn't this, ex why doesn't this exist in your product page? And they're like, well, I didn't think people would care. I was like, well, people would care if you present it mm -hmm. in an interesting way. And so I think a lot of times we, we remove stuff from our description because we think people simply don't care. So I think those are two things that I think happens all the time. So even though they have a very compelling story, the version of that story that they're bringing online is very sanitized. And I think that's actually hurting conversion rates. I think that's quite interesting how I think it sounds like you're saying there shouldn't be like a one size fit all approach when it comes to writing the copy on your product pages. And sometimes you can still target more than one audience, but if you do it in a way that's clever and that's smart and where people can kind of find the journey that fits their needs and what they're looking for, uh, especially like what you said about kind of like, it's okay to cut the fluff as they say, but it should be the parts that aren't important for the story. Um, I think you see that so much. A lot of people are using like AI or generated copy, and sometimes that can really work, but sometimes that only comes up with kind of really generic things and not some of that specificity, uh, which it sounds like in many of your experiments has turned out into gold for pages out there that are on products out there that are trying to sell a bit more to their target audience. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to finish off with one last question. So in our next episode, we're going to have Viquette, who is from Mars Pet Care, and she works in the customer journey and uh, CRO as well. Do you have a question perhaps that I can ask Viquette? Well, I'm always interested in contrarian learning. So my question mm -hmm. would be, what is something that, that, that they've learned that was very counterintuitive that they just thought would absolutely not work or maybe they had evidence that there was this thing that would always work for them but then they tested something that was exactly the opposite and it worked really well mm -hmm. um i would love to hear some a story like that because i think that's that that really kind of uh, excites me and it's a great learning uh learning tool excellent well i'll be sure to ask her thank you so much for your time today rishi uh, again, he's from Frictionless Commerce, so be sure to check them out as well. And we look forward to having you tune in for our next episode of Click to Buy. Awesome. Thank you.